Welcome to our Christmas Eve service, December 24th. And of course, with the lockdown, we once more can't meet tonight. And we're going to be looking today at the birth of Jesus foretold. And if you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, there in verse 26, it says, In the sixth month, now this is a reference to Elizabeth's pregnancy, and Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. So in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God. And now, it's interesting, we have very few references to angels in the Bible. And only two are given names. That is Michael, and we have the name Gabriel. Now, we know that Gabriel came to Daniel in the Old Testament and gave an explanation of the prophecy of the coming of Jesus. So there in Daniel 9, verse 21, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen before in a vision, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, the angel Gabriel also announced the birth of John the Baptist to his father, Zechariah. So there at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 11, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him there, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And the angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and bring you good news. Now, Gabriel, as we said, is one of only two angels given names in the Scripture. And we know that he appeared to Daniel and to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, as well as appearing here to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, he's also called the angel of the Lord in Luke 1. And he's probably one that appeared to Joseph the number of times as the angel of the Lord. Having an angel appear is very rare, and therefore we as Bible readers should take this as being a very significant and important event. It goes on to say it was in the city of Galilee near Nazareth. Now, Galilee is located about 120 to 160 kilometers north of Jerusalem. And it was a region that was held in very low esteem. In part because it was also called Galilee of the Gentiles, because a large number of non-Jewish or Gentile people lived there. Now, Nazareth is a nowhere place. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. It's never mentioned in the religious writings or the Talmud. And it's not really recorded in things of like the historical writings of people like Josephus. So really, what is Nazareth? It's an unknown backwater village. At the time of Jesus, it is estimated that maybe 480 people were living there. Now, Nathaniel in John's Gospel, in John 1.46, says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That gives you a little bit of a taste of what people really feel, felt about this as a location. And the question that may be on your lips and mine is this. Why would God choose to use a backwater town with an unknown girl to come to earth as a baby? Now, we need to take these words from Isaiah 55 very seriously, in verse 8. And God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than yours. So though Nazareth was small, it did indeed have one Jewish synagogue, and it's there that we find Jesus gives his first sermon. He goes on in verse 27 to say, A virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. We really know nothing about Mary. We know nothing about her parents or grandparents. Or the rest of her family. Uh, both uh, Matthew and Luke give us a genealogy that uh, take, uh, takes us way back to King David, which is quite significant as fulfilling a prophecy. 
But in all reality, she was an unknown person marrying an unknown person. Now the big question we need to ask ourselves is why is her virgin birth so significant for us in terms of theology? Now the first thing is it shows that salvation ultimately must come from God. Just as God had promised back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman would ultimately destroy the serpent. So God brought it about by his own power. It's not by human effort. So it's very much can say that our salvation is a God-ordained plan. Now the virgin birth of Christ is an unmistakable reminder that salvation can never come through human effort. It must always be the work of God himself. Our salvation only comes about through the supernatural work of God. And that was very evident right from the very beginning of Jesus' life. And one of the predictions that Jesus makes about uh, this life is found by the Apostle Paul in Galatians 4, verse 4. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law so they may be received adoption as sons. The virgin birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. This was the means God used to send his son into the world as a man. From Mary, Jesus is 100% human. From the Holy Spirit, he's also 100% God. The virgin birth also makes possible Jesus' true identity without inherited sin. Now, all human beings have inherited a corrupt moral nature from their first father, Adam. Now, sometimes people call this the original sin. But the fact that Jesus did not have a human father means the line of descent from Adam is partially interrupted. Jesus did not descend from Adam in exactly the same way in which every other human being had descended from Adam. Thus, Jesus could be born sinless. That's some of the background why that virgin birth is so significant to you and I. The other big thing is you've got to realise that the birth of Jesus was to fulfil prophecy. Now, in the coming weeks up to Christmas, we've been looking at prophecies that Jesus fulfilled from Psalms. And today I'd long to quote for you one from Isaiah, from Isaiah 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And I imagine many of you already know that Emmanuel means God with us. Now the sign which Isaiah spoke of was given specifically to King Ahaz. And King Ahaz was fearing that the royal line of Judah was about to be destroyed by Syria and or Israel. And the prophet assured the king that God would protect his holy line. In future, there'll be a far greater birth, the virgin birth of God incarnate, to ensure the covenant with God's people. Now, when we look at uh, Mary and Joseph, uh, their engagement is not the same as modern day engagements in the Western world. Now, in the New Testament, engagement, or what's sometimes called betrothal, in the Jewish culture of the first century, was legally binding, and the only way to break it was by divorce, the same as you'd divorce a husband or a wife. In fact, a man or woman were called husband and wife even before their marriage took place. So from the moment they're betrothed, they're treated, in, uh, in all intensive purposes, as if they were married. Now, going on to verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. Now sadly, this is a verse that is twisted often by Roman Catholic Church people. 
because Mary receives grace but is never described as the giver of grace. As it says there, greetings, O favour one, the Lord is with you. So it's God gives grace to Mary. So where does our grace come from as Christians? 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, that is, the man Jesus Christ. It doesn't say there are many mediators, it says there is one mediator. And that one mediator is Christ and Christ alone. Now this is also backed up by words like Ephesians and Colossians. In Ephesians 1.7, In him, as in in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Then if we turn to Colossians 1.13, For he rescued us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Now, as we go through the New Testament, Mary is never described as co-redeemer or co-mediator or one who listens to our prayers. And when we turn to Luke 1 verse 38, it says, Mary says, Behold, the bondservant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. So how did Mary view herself? She calls herself a bondservant or a slave of God. She leaves us the example of a very godly, and a very humble woman who the New Testament never calls us to worship her. But we, like her, are called to worship Jesus, her son. Her honour comes from her righteous obedience, but we cannot put her on an equal footing with Christ. Mary is one of the most godly women who's ever lived. And as we read through this, we see that she's a person who's very much enmeshed in the Old Testament, and uh, she'd be a classic Old Testament faithful saint of God. Now, the giving of grace is something that is given by God and God alone. And one of my favourite verses is Ephesians 2 verse 8. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. So where did the idea of Mary being the mother of God come from? It's hundreds of years later at the Council of Ephesus in 431 AD that first started to try and use the term Mother of God or Theodotus as the Greek Orthodox Church will call her. Now Jesus was born on earth as a baby but he also exists eternally. So when we talk about God the Father and God the Son, God the Holy Spirit being eternal Psalm 90 verse 22 says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth, and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So how do we describe the birth of Jesus? Paul, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, says in chapter 2 verse 6, For though he existed in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Now we must be very careful to not mix up Jesus' divinity and his humanity. He is 100% God, and he's also 100% human. Now in terms of his godness, uh, John's Gospel doesn't give us any of the birth narratives related to Jesus' birth. 
And so how does it start? There in John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verse 14 it says, And the Word came and lived or dwelt or tabernacled amongst us. Now Mary starts Jesus' earthly life, but did not start his eternal life. Now the New Testament often calls Mary the mother of Jesus, and it never once calls her the mother of God. So going back to our passage there in Luke 1.29, now it's about Mary, it says, She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, because you know, an angel comes and speaks to you, you're a young teenage girl, and you can imagine the shock that she was going through. And then the angel responded to her in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Now this would have horrified her, because she'd never had sex. She was a virgin. And she's been told, you are now pregnant. And she's thinking, oh, how can this be? Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call him Jesus, and he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there is no end. And you imagine when these words were finished, just the look on Mary's face, thinking, you tell me I'm pregnant, you're now telling me it's God's son, that's never happened before, and that he will rule everyone. Who am I be given such a privilege and such an honour. Now as we go back through the Old Testament and go back to the very first prophecy about Jesus, that is found in Genesis in the third chapter and verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then in Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will come with child to bear a son. And he shall be called his name Emmanuel. God is with us. So one of the key things this prophecy says that God is one who will rule all things. We find that this is quite true in the Old Testament, Psalm 45, verse 6. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your rule with the scepter of justice. And as we said, the angel did appear to Daniel. What's some of the prophecies that Daniel gave to us? Daniel 2, 44. In the days of those kings... The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It was crushed and put an end to all these kingdoms. But it will itself endure forever. God's rule is eternal rule. And as we turn to the last book in our, our New Testament, Revelation, there in chapter 11, it says, The kingdom of God has become the kingdom of our Lord and of, of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. Then a couple of chapters further on in Revelation 22 verse 5, and there will no longer be any night. There will not be the need of a lamp of the light of the lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illuminate them, and they will reign forever. Jesus reigns, and we as Christians will reign beside him. Can you imagine the shock Mary would have felt when she hears all these words? And Mary says to the angel there in verse 34, How would this be since I am a virgin? You can understand her, her consternation thinking of you know, a child, pregnancy, 
you know, lordship, you know, kingdom of God rules forever. All these words would have been bouncing inside of her head. And the angel responds and encourages her with these words in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. As we go through the Christmas story, we're very much aware that God is one who stated and starts all the events. And as we come to Christmas, it's not a man-made manipulation of events. Our salvation is not from an earthly source, but from God himself through Jesus by means of his Holy Spirit. So if God is the one who saves us, if God is the one who's in control, then none of us can lose our salvation because God will never let us go. This Christmas Eve, it's a chance to be reminded that God is in control, that even the most uh, meaningless of events, most unknown of locations, can be transformed by God and used by him for his kingdom. If God can transform the use of Nazareth and Mary and uh, give birth to Jesus, how much more can he transform you and work in your life? Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father God, this day, may we always be mindful that you are Lord of all, that your kingdom will reign forever. Father, help us be faithful and diligent in our service of you. And may we be holy as you are holy. Father, may your Holy Spirit inspire in us a hunger to serve you always. Amen. Thank you for being with us as part of our Christmas Eve service. And I look forward to catching up tomorrow with you for Christmas Day.